Well, we always are looking um, for to be the best. To, the first rule is do no harm, right? So you uh, definitely hit the nail on the head with the conservative approach uh, of how we build our hardware. Well, we've been doing this for 50 years. We know this works. And, but as times have changed, our components have changed. Even in space, we're dealing with bottom terminating components. We're dealing with the uh, column good arrays. We're dealing with QFNs. We're dealing with all those things that are out there in commercial, the commercial world. But we're putting them on spacecraft board. So it's very um, challenging to clean the boards the way we always did with the changes that we're seeing in our components. Um, and so that uh, has been one of the things that, you know, we were looking at. There wasn't anything wrong with the solvent cleaning, but it only took us about a quarter of the way through our process. That's my guest, Wendy Kasker from Johns Hopkins University's Applied Physics Laboratory, next on Reliability Matters. Welcome to Reliability Matters, a podcast for the electronic assembly industry. Each episode covers topics related to reliability, best practices, and environmentally responsible assembly techniques with insights from experts across the electronic assembly industry. Now, here's your host, Mike Conrad. Welcome to another episode of Reliability Matters. I'm your host, Mike Conrad. Jim Collins, author of the acclaimed business book, Good to Great, Why Some Companies Make the Leap and Others Don't, published by Harper Business, a book, by the way, I highly recommend, stated, good is the enemy of great. How many times have we settled for good or good enough? The pursuit of great is often foiled by the fear of leaving something behind that's working well. After all, why risk the guarantee of good for the uncertainty of great? Well, sometimes we seek great because that's just who we are. Other times, we seek great because of other factors. My next guest had a customer that demanded their circuit assemblies be built with materials that were indeed good. Good had never let them down. Exterior factors would limit the ability to continue to utilize traditionally good materials, and alternate materials would soon be required. This presented an opportunity to seek great. My guest today is Wendy Kasker, a manufacturing engineer with Johns Hopkins University's Applied Physics Laboratory, which is located in Laurel, Maryland. Welcome, Wendy. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so let's start with a little bit about uh, about you. Uh, you're at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory now. Where were you before that? What led you there? Um, I started my career, um, well, I have a degree in industrial engineering from University of Massachusetts. And um, I spent most of my career in the New England area between Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Maine doing manufacturing engineering work, some for OEMs. Some, and toward the beginning of 2000, I hit the contract manufacturing world and spent about nine years in that. And then I worked for a tooling company for a bit. Um, and um, I kind of was more of a product engineer than a process engineer. So I was responsible for um, making sure people were happy with the product that they got. And then we built it the way they wanted it. Um, took me all over the world, um, which was really fun. And uh, 2009, um, the tooling company I was working for um, 
you know, the, that was during the economic downturn. So we got kind of hit by that. And um, so I found myself looking for a place to go. And I had visited um, APL, which is what I'll call work, um, APL for a conference, um, a local SMTA show back in 2008. And um, I thought, well, you know, we like it down here. Let's take a look. And wouldn't you know, the day I looked, they had an opening for a manufacturing engineer. So I applied and went through the interview process and landed there in uh, July of 2009. Oh, very cool. Um, so tell me a little bit about what Applied Physics Laboratory does, APL does. What 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 type of work do you guys, uh, are you known for? Uh, we actually, uh, APL is a um, university affiliated research center or UARC and we're federally, we're basically federally funded through different sponsor agencies in the government. So our largest contract is with the Navy. Um, and uh, we were, uh, became famous at APL due to the, um, I think it was called the proximity fuse that they were making in World War II. And we developed GPS um, and the transit satellites. And um, over the past, since I've been at APL in the past 10 years, there's been a big move into um, healthcare, um, systems engineering of healthcare. Systems engineering is very, very important at APL. Um, air and missile defense, cyber security, um, soldier warfare, safety, um, and understanding like biological impacts of, you know, an IED going off under a Humvee or something like that. Um, and other, all kinds of other interesting things, but mainly we're known for, um, Navy work and for our space work. Definitely all high reliability. Yes. And what do you do there, Wendy? What's, what's your primary Um, uh, responsibility? Well, I've been, like I said, I've been a working manufacturing engineer for um, about nine years, almost 10 now. And I, we basically have a small factory in our lab. We have an SMT line and with a pick and place and a a reflow oven. And we also use vapor phase technology for, um, for reflow now more often than we use convection. Um, We have AOI, we have X-ray, we have two different X-ray machines um, and we have some of the best people around. So we work, I particularly work mainly with, um, satellite, um, hardware. So I, over the years have become part of the, uh, RF team as the lead manufacturing engineer building RF, uh, assemblies for the radios that go on the spacecraft that we build and also some power distribution. I also do, um, process development, um, new parts come in, we have to make sure that we can actually manufacture them reliably. So we do a lot of qualification build, process design, process development. So it's a really fun job. I'm going to ask you a completely unscripted question here, and this is just <laughs> topical. So the Chinese just landed a uh, some kind of a lunar uh, device on the backside of the moon. Um, and yep. I remember from my childhood watching um, Apollo launches in school. And of course, the movie Apollo 13 and whenever the spacecraft went to the, you know, backside of the moon, the dark side of the moon, they were out of communication until they came around right. the other side. Is that still the case? Or, or I assume since the Chinese chose to land on the uh, dark side of the moon, that, that they found a way to communicate. I actually wouldn't know that, but I, I understand that when like, for example, new horizons, um, or even Parker Solar Probe, when, which is the one that we're going to talk about later, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, when they go around an object, I, would, I, I believe that there's some kind of radio silence. Or, and, and the, the, 
but the data is still being collected. It just can't be sent. So it, I believe that's still the case. I don't think they found a way to communicate through uh, planet. It's kind of like Yet. driving under an, driving under an underpass uh, or an overpass when you're listening to satellite radio. Everything just kind of disappears for a exactly. momentarily yeah, I, line of sight. I think that if somebody wanted to do that, APL would be the place that it would <laughs> I thought I'd start well, there. Okay. If APL doesn't just do it, say. nobody does it, right? Nobody so, can. Yeah, we always say that. Actually, if it's hard, anybody, if it was easy, anybody could do it. Right. So and if it's hard, APL. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you work APL and you work with customers with um, to say the least, demanding reliability specifications. My experience in my business working with aerospace and military customers is that they're very slow to change. Reliability is so important that many extreme high reliability customers cling on to trusted materials and methods that have proven effective, even if newer materials and methods are shown to be better. So this is kind of the good is the enemy of great mentality. Some of some, or maybe perhaps all of your customers, or at least many of your customers, uh, require circuit assemblies to be cleaned using traditional methods, traditional methods, meaning solvents. Uh, they've been around forever. Um, but a lot of the solvents are at their end of their life due to government mandated chemical phase outs and company health and safety departments uh, regulating the use and, and storage of certain types of, of materials, as well as local air quality management agencies, reducing allowable VOC emissions. Uh, with that being said, how does APL satisfy its customers? Well, still complying with the ever-changing environmental safety and, and disposal regulations? Well, we always are looking um, for, to be the best, to, the first rule is do no harm, right? So you uh, definitely hit the nail on the head with the conservative approach uh, of how we build our hardware. Well, we've been doing this for 50 years. We know this works. And, but as times have changed, our components have changed, even in space, we're dealing with bottom terminated components. We're dealing with the uh, column good arrays. We're dealing with QFNs. We're dealing with all those things that are out there in commercial, the commercial world, but we're putting them on spacecraft boards. So it's very um, challenging to clean the boards the way we always did with the changes that we're seeing in our components. Um, and so that uh, has been one of the things that you know, we were looking at, there wasn't anything wrong with the solvent cleaning, but it only took us about a quarter of the way through our process and in, the, in a degreasing type situation. So the rest of the way we were doing manual brush cleaning and, you know, we weren't, it's really a painful procedure because you can't control it. So right. we would kind of, you know, I, I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but as I got more involved with that part of the assembly work, um, that's what led me to attend my first, um, SMTA IPC cleaning and coding conference because I was looking for something and I was trying to figure out like, what can I do? You know, and, and I wanted to find a way forward because I had come out of um, industry where I did no clean. I also did water wash. Well, that's perfect. Um, I mean, you didn't steal my thunder. Yeah. You actually gave me a great segue. And, and <laughs> when, when you mentioned your first uh, IPC SMTA cleaning and coding conference, and for those people who aren't in electronics, that's IPC and SMTA are two of our our, uh, our industry uh, trade associations, uh, IPC writes standards, SMTA is a chapter-based um, uh, organization. Uh, I think it was six years ago, you attended your first uh, cleaning and coding okay. conference, which is in Chicago. Um, yes. And that seemed to produce a, what I would call a light bulb moment with you. Can you tell mm -hmm. me more about that? 
Well, I went to Chicago on a, in, in November of 2012. Um, and I, I think I told you this already before that the day of my flight, I cut my hand at work and I ended up having to get stitches in my hand right before I got on the plane. So I basically sat in this cold auditorium where I think it was a big hotel conference room and um, with my hand up basically for three days. And I just kind of listened and I didn't know anybody. I was there by myself and, and I heard some um, really interesting presentations and especially by this guy named Mike Conrad, he was a pretty, pretty great speaker, you know, and I was really, uh, I was really uh, struck by what was going on um, out there, out beyond the APL um, perimeter, if you will. And uh, I thought I should probably rethink my ideas of cleaning and rethink, um, or, or maybe how can I add in, another cleaning method without, um, scaring people. And, um, so I left that conference still not really knowing anybody, but I think I did meet a few people, but it was, um, I left coming back. I said to my, my manager at the, you know, at the time, but we should look into this. We should do this. I think we can do this. I know I can do this, you know? And so he told me to go get it, you know, go figure it out and see what we could do. And, um, so that led me to, uh, what we call, do what we call a technical initiative where I apply for some funding to go off and do a project that could benefit APL, um, hopefully, and, uh, report, you know, we would report back on it every quarter of what we were doing. And, um, so they said yes. And, um, so that's, that's really how the, my personal introduction to you happened, right? Was through the opportunity to have funding to go off and, and do this. And um, because we have pretty progress, you know, very progressive leadership, you know, they were like, yeah, if you can, you know, make it better, let's make it better. And, um, and so that's really how it happened. Well, I'm not trying and to uh, blow, blow smoke your direction, but, but it does say a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it does say a lot about APL's uh, management too. Because yeah. when, when, when an engineer comes with a you know, light bulb moment with the, the le- next great idea, it's, it's very common. I mean, we've all heard it to get a response more similar to, Hey, what we're doing is working. The customer's not complaining. Let's just, just, just keep doing it. You know, cause no one really wants to put their neck on the, on the chopping block in case something doesn't work. So, so to, right. in, in an atmosphere where the customer's happy and, you know, even though there's some, you know, environmental and safety things going on, but uh, no one's really screaming uh, to open the opportunity up to do some experiments, to uh, prove a better way to, do anything uh, is uh, is quite enlightened thinking on behalf of management, uh, particularly uh, I, something in, in I your world. I yeah. agree with that, and also I think um, to some extent disruption is is promoted. <laughs> so we have uh, in the past, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years, they've really been kind of gearing us towards you know innovating, thinking differently, design thinking, and kind of do new methods of thinking um, that can improve the laboratory and help us work together better and serve our sponsors better. So we do have very, um, really inspiring programs and projects that we can work on as in teams or we can do our own things or, you know, you just have to be kind of brave enough to ask for it. I love the, I love the term disruptive thinking. That's more of a uh, Silicon Valley kind of West coast, uh, 
uh, <laughs> phrase. It's nice to hear that coming out of the uh, the uh, other coast, uh, in in particularly particularly in 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 uh, high rel, you know, space communication yeah. type type environment. So, uh, what kind of uh, what did what did you do with your discovery? So you come back from the cleaning and coding conference, all jazzed up. You talk to your boss. <laughs> Your boss yep. says, yep, you know, start disrupting, um, you know, prove it, <laughs> Wendy, prove it. So what was your, what were your next steps? When I first got the funding, I called my manufacturer's rep and because I didn't know that many people. So he had a good line card. So I called him up and said, Hey, I want to do this. Can you help me? And he, he was more than willing to help. He was actually really excited to help. And he connected me with our chemistry with a chemistry supplier. Um, and so I was fabric, we fabricate our own board. So I had enough money to build a bunch of IPC B52 test vehicles, which for people in the industry that aren't in the industry, it's basically a template that a lot of people use to test different processes. So everything is always the same. Um, and so we fabricated those boards in our shop. We built them in, with some dummy parts that I purchased from, um, a, a a dummy part supplier. So they come in kits. So I had a little kit for each board. We subjected them to our normal process. Um, I washed five of them in my degreaser and put those aside. And then I went to the chemistry supplier and I washed five of them in um, an aqueous cleaner with a chemistry that was recommended by them for the paste that I use. Um, and it was a saponifier. So, so water-based rather than solid-based. Water-based, based. yeah, soap and water, right? So, yeah, sure. Um, so they, um, I brought the boards back to APL and I sent them off to a independent laboratory where, which did surface insulation resistance testing and ion ionic chromatography, looking for contaminants or any any ionic residues that are left behind. And actually, as it happens, the lab that I used was also one of the presenters at the first. Uh, cleaning and coding conference that I went to. So um, I kind of had them in the back of my mind um, and I've used them again several times since then for other things. Um, anyway, so that's how you, you make those connections as you go to these conferences. So when the results came back, I was very happy because the degreasing process was good. No one had ever asked us for the data, like show me that your process is good per the IPC standards, right? So no, we never had that. Now I do. I have that objective evidence saying vapor degreasing is okay. The water-based cleaning process came back better, not in a grand magnificent amount, but better. And so now I have the opportunity to add in a better process that's going to cost less, you know, with the initial capital outlay to, to bring in the equipment, the training and whatnot. So that's how it happened. And then it took me, I don't know, two or three years to convince our customers internal customers that water would not hurt their board. They were really afraid of that. They were afraid that washing in water would ruin their board. Um, and so I had to put a lot of my own personal credibility on the line to say, Hey, I'm not here to hurt your board. This is what we do. And I was fortunate enough to have someone um, shepherd me around to meet all these people and show them my presentation and show them my data. And, you know, I had all this information and they really didn't know what to do with it at first, but I was fortunate enough that we had a new program coming in. That was a quick project, uh, less than a year, which is quick for us. Uh, and he said, I want you to do it on my board for our flight. And I was like, that was the door I needed to have open. So when you say flight, uh, you mean like space flight, right? Space flight. Right. Wow. So he opened the door for me. 
he, you know, he trusted the data. He trusted the team that we have doing all this work to let us do it. And, and it was very, very successful. And so from there, now we've kind of cascaded our way into like all of the projects. But it took a long time. It took a lot of, you know, patient explanation. Um, people don't understand because they're not, they're designers. That's not their thing. You know, we're manufacturing engineers. That's what we do. You know, we try to find a better way, the most efficient way, the safest way, you know, and so that's kind of where, where it was, but it really, it took one engineer to say, let's do it. And then everybody else kind of fell into place after that. Wow. So you found a fellow disruptor, not just within APL, but uh, out <laughs> at your customer. That's amazing. I still work with him every day and he's still doing it. So yeah, that's great. So that's great. Really great that he had so much faith in us. That's great. So what was APL's reaction to the customer's approval of the new process? Did that, I think um, you alluded to it, did that open the doors to, to more disruptive thinking? Well, actually what it did was we have a lot of mission assurance people that are, you know, responsible for the, the end, um, the assurance that the, the, that we are doing, we are meeting all the requirements that we're supposed to meet quality wise and software wise and whatnot. And they do a lot of the vendor checks. So they would be, some of them are actually supplier and supplier quality engineers or SQEs sort of uh, in the real world. That's what you would call them. But um, when I was, you know, talking about this with them, we, we have a few of them that are very manufacturing oriented and they do visit a lot of vendors. They were taking my information that I was telling them and then holding the vendors like, Hey, I want to see these numbers. When did you do your SIR testing? You know, so it was sort of, um, pushed the, you know, it sort of put the vendors on notice that, you know, they've got to have this data. And it was really, really fascinating actually to see that happen. And, um, yeah. So but tell me a little bit about are, the, the testing there. And keep in mind, there's people that listen, that subscribe to this podcast that aren't necessarily in the electronic assembly industry. They're, they're reliability engineers in other industries. So I hear SIR, that surface in, insulation resistance tests. And what other types of, of uh, testing, analytical type testing, did you perform to, to come to the conclusion that a result was better or no worse or, you know, whatever the results came to? Well, the, um, the, the surface insulation resistance test is done over is in heat and humidity. So uh, if there's any, and it takes 106 a week, uh, seven solid days. I'm not really an electrical engineer, but it's cycling the, the chart. The elect Can you help me with that? I don't know what that. Yeah. Yeah. So SIR, surface insulation resistance, in, in, a, in a simple word, is just measuring the amount of electrical um, um, uh, resistance uh, between two points under certain circumstances. So uh, if presumably if a circuit board, if a circuit assembly is dirty, if it has ionic or conductive contamination on it, then, then one would have a more, uh, would measure more conductivity, less resistivity between two points on a board. And then if you put the board into harsh environments, uh, heat, humidity, uh, that could be exacerbated. So, um, so we're measuring the, how clean a board is by how much electrical resistance, uh, is measured between two points. I think you also performed uh, rose testing and adhesion testing. Yeah. Can you tell me mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Yeah, the rose testing was just uh, for um, like a sanity check because we are required to do the uh, resistant resistance of solvent extract. Yes, that's the rose test. The Resistivity of solvent extract. You, you plunge the board, the assembly into a bath of alcohol and water mix and you... Um, 
you turn it up and then you're running the extracted liquid through um, a sensor and it's yep. detecting it's detecting um, the amount of resistivity in that solution. Sure. And um, so we have to meet uh, and we have a number that we need to meet as far as the and I hate this number. It's 10 micrograms metric per square inch English. I hate that number, but that's what it is. That's what doesn't make any sense to most people, but that's what it is. And you're basically, you know, if you have a square inch of board surface and you have a reading of two micrograms per square inch, then across, and you're measuring that whole surface area before you put it, you plunge the unit into the, into the bath. Um, then you, you can as safely assume that you've removed any dangerous contaminants. Any, anything are, ionic, anything conductive. Right. right. And we are required to do that on every board that we can formal coat. So it's a lot out in industry. People are checking their cleaning process a couple times a day. We are doing it on every single thing that we build. 100%. Wow. 100%. And, and there yep. was also an adhesion test too that, that was yes. done, right? With like, like a shear, yep. a shear test. Yep. Well, I wanted to do some compatibility checking because one of the drawbacks to the solvent cleaning is that it attacks um, epoxies and uh, things like plastics and all temp. And we have to do a lot of, uh, because we're launching, the hardest part about space work is launch. So everything we're doing is protecting the board from the vibrations of launch. So we are um, gluing, staking, bonding, underfilling, just anything we can do to keep the parts on the board. We're, we're securing the hardware so they can't back out uh, with uh, epoxy stripes or torque stripes, if you will. So what I wanted to figure out was I knew that the, the solvent cleaner was not, uh, once we started putting uh, the epoxies and the polymer material onto our assemblies, we could not go into that unit and clean that way. So that was, and that happens fairly early in our process. Um, so I wanted to see just because I was curious and I had a little money left over where I could go with the, these materials, like what would happen if I washed them in the aqueous cleaner with the chemistry setup that I have. So I made, we made lab shear samples, which are basically two pieces of aluminum, I think aluminum and they're, uh, um, plated. Uh, I don't think they're anodized, but they're plated. Sometimes we have them painted. Um, and you basically put your epoxy. There's five fingers on each one. You pay, you put your epoxy on there and you each finger, and then you put it in a, a uh, you can put another one on top of it. So it looks like a big, like when you put your fingers together. So it's like two hands. Sure. And then you put it in a fixture and you squeeze it together and then you cure it um, the way you would normally cure it. And then we take it, we take it to our material. We have materials lab. Um, right down the hall from my office actually. And they uh, cut them apart and then they basically break them and they see where the adhesion is, where the cohesion failures are. And we turned out that, and we also were testing um, uh, durometer uh, hardness testing because we have to do that as well. So we have very well-known materials and we have a, just a standard suite of materials that we use for all these processes. So we have all those numbers. And so when I did all this work in the, um, with the compatibility, I found out that the water was not harming our materials. So it wasn't making them worse and it wasn't making them better. Um, you know, there were some differences, but sometimes we didn't have enough pressure. So we would have a, um, an adhesion failure and that's like an operator failure. Like we didn't squeeze it together tight enough. Um, you know, so we found out some things about it, but it actually proved to be safe that way. So that's what I, um, that was my second uh, conversation at the clean conference. So the first presentation I did was just on 
how we brought the crosses in. The second one was on the compatibility. Right. You changed your credentials. You, you went the six years ago as a, as an <laughs> attendee. And then this event is only every two years. So the next event, which was, I think was two years later, right. Uh, yep. You showed up as a speaker and, yes. and you presented a paper. I was there. It was very <laughs> impressive. Uh, about, uh, you know, changing your customer's mindset to go from, you know, I don't think these weren't your words, but this is the way I took it from good to great, from, from a good process to a better process with, uh, that met the environmental requirements of, of APL and the safety requirements of APL and the demanding, uh, reliability requirements of your customer all kind of wrapped up into one process, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I gave that presentation, um, when I was, I had a, it was the first day. So it actually, I think was a tutorial. Um, and I think that, um, uh, the organizations really wanted to have people who are doing like real things in the real world, come in and talk about what they did rather than, um, you know, like, no, don't take this the wrong way. A vendor coming in and talking about, right? <laughs> well, it's they always better to have a real live a breathing real customer. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and because so by the time. And you were there. And so by the time, I believe that was the day that you had a picture of a car with a whole bunch of snow on top of it. So I think that was the one, but the, um, at the end of the presentation, I had a lot of questions. I was really shocked at how many people were fascinated by this. Cause to me, it was just like work, you know? So I wasn't expecting, um, the feedback that I got. And, um, so that day, I'll never forget this day. Um, Dave Adams from Rockwell Collins stands up and goes, can you help me? And, you know, and so I ended up getting involved with the cleaning and coding um, subcommittee and doing some work for them. So I, that was great because Dave and I have, have been working together for the last four years. And I never would have had that opportunity if I hadn't gone to that conference. Well, you seem to also have opened up the spill gates because I remember at the last conference, which was just uh, last November, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another aerospace company, I think it was Northrop Grumman, that presented yep. a paper similar in to yours in that they had to their uh, they talked about their journey to take their um, customer, uh, which I, I I don't remember. I assume it was the military uh, Probably, on a journey yeah. to switch from a solvent um, environment to an aqueous environment. And yep. uh, I remember thinking, oh, this is this is familiar. I, I heard this four years ago. And, and it's nice to see that other companies are doing the same thing because environmental, um, environmentally superior products and, and uh, products, which are more safe sometimes are presumed to come with a flip side, which is, well, they're not quite as good. You know, it's like, it's like sugar-free, low calorie food. It, it doesn't taste as good as a big cheese pizza would. Right. So um, <laughs> sometimes, you know, the, the low calorie in our business would be environmentally safe and, 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 or environmentally responsible and, and health and, and, and human safety and, you know, all that stuff. When usually when those attributes rise, the, the um, function of the, or the results of it lower. So it's good to have a win-win good for the environment, a win, a win for the environment, a win for um, the employees who are handling the material, a win for the end user who has a product up in space that, that, doesn't uh, shake to death on launch. Uh, yeah, I or, was, I was really impressed with that presentation and I was um, really delighted to see someone else kind of following, following in my footsteps, if you will. Um, and, and uh, she's right down the road from me. 
And um, she's, you know, she's, uh, it's just really great to see women doing electronics manufacturing. There aren't a ton of us, um, but it, you know, with people like, like myself and like her and others that are now like coming out, I think, you know, we're kind of leading the charge, you know, it's not just, uh, uh, we can, anybody can do it, you know, it's, um, not just in the boys club anymore. Uh, it's, it's, nope, yeah. I didn't want to say that, but well, you know. I'll say it. Yeah. It, it's, I've been in this business for <laughs> 30 yeah. plus years. I I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, it I've had know, a the, wonderful the perception is our industry is gentrified and male oriented <laughs> and that's changing. You know, we're getting younger yeah. engineers. We're getting a lot of, yeah. a lot of women uh, in the in, uh, engineers in this industry. And it's just, it, I think all that, whenever you, whenever you broaden the spectrum, it just leads to more disruptive um, ideas and ideas that, that kind of challenge the foundation of good is good enough. And Right. Right. It's, uh, it's, um, I will say I've had a, a, a fabulous career and I do a lot of the tours at APL for, um, new staff and things like that. And I'm always trying to convince somebody to come and spend the day with us to be a manufacturing engineer for a day, because once you do it, it's so much fun. You just can't leave. So it's <laughs> no matter where they come from. And we always have, um, it's a lot of interest in people wanting to come back and see more and talk to us about more things. That's so, great. you know, we have to be ambassadors for our work. Um, and I, I'm happy that manufacturing is making a comeback. And I'm glad that I've been able to, to just do like such interesting work that I can actually see that my, my, my work is flying around the sun. You know, it's amazing. So well, tell me about keep- that. Yeah, we, we alluded to it. But uh, one of the projects that that you've worked on since the change in methods, uh, the new disruptive method um, is now on the uh, going around the sun somewhere. Tell me about that. Yeah. That uh, spacecraft. Parker, Parker solar probe. And it was an idea that was um, germinated about 50 years ago with the Dr. Parker. And he wanted to investigate the, the sun and the weather from the sun and what's going on over there, 93 million miles away and how can it affect the earth? And um, so we built this amazing spacecraft to travel around the sun. So you can imagine that there's, how do you stop everything from melting, you know, and things like that. So they developed some new materials for the heat shield. Um, the, uh, electronics are all, you know, on board, not a really big spacecraft, actually pretty small. And, um, it's, you know, all of our hardware was the first full spacecraft mission that everything that we built was washed in aqueous at least once. So, you know, um, so that's pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. And well, you also, uh, you also win the award for, Cool job. You know, I come home from work. Someone says, how was your day? Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yada, yada, yada. You know, someone could ask Wendy, how was your day? Eh, I built this rocket. It's a, built this spaceship. It's around the sun right yeah. now. Well, I always That's tell people, cool. people ask what it's like to work at APL. And I said, always compare it to the movie, The Martian. And when they were having a problem on bars and all the engineers were standing around in a circle talking. And we really do do that. So that is really a thing. Uh, we do a lot of talking. Uh, talking ourselves into something, talking ourselves out of something, throwing ideas around, looking at data. It really does happen. So it's really fun because it can be really collaborative sometimes. Yeah. So and and disruptive as we hear and disruptive. Yeah, sometimes. We don't want to break anything though. So. Right. Disruptive, disruptive in a good way. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. So it's been really, it's been a marvelous experience to work on this and to, to be able to, to, do such practical work and have so many people interested in it. It's been like one of the highlights of my career. I have and it's say. been a marvelous <laughs> experience. 
And this conversation <laughs> has been a marvelous experience. I, I really appreciate you being my guest so on Reliability Matters. Um, if, uh, if people have questions for you, I will encourage everyone to uh, send me emails. My information is on your screen somewhere if you're listening to this uh, and I'll forward them to Wendy and uh, maybe you guys can form a dialogue and come up with the next disruptive idea. Right. Hey, thanks again, Wendy. I really appreciate it. And I will take you up on, on that tour um, offer, even though I'm, I'm not, yeah, uh, I'm not a potential day. employee. I would love to come and get a tour uh, from the ambassador of APL. I spent my day changing my wash tanks out today. So <laughs> well, good job. Good job. We're getting dirty. So yeah, yeah. Good, good maintenance, good, good reliability. Very, very much. Excellent. It. Thank you very much, Wendy. We'll take care. Bye-bye. Well, that's another episode. Thanks for listening to Reliability Matters. If you liked what you hear, please be sure and give us a like. Just click on the like or heart button below. If there are any reliability-based questions you would like to have answered or specific topics discussed, let me know. I can be reached at mike at mikeconrad.com. That's Conrad with a K. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Reliability Matters on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. You can also listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, aqueoustech.com, pcbchat.com, spreaker.com, globalsmt.net, and our newest affiliate, Ascendo Reliability on reliability.fm, a site dedicated to all things reliability. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Reliability Matters. In the meantime, keep doing it right. Thanks for listening to the Reliability Matters podcast. Join us on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for new episodes of Reliability Matters.